wonderful to hear that thing fired up again. Amen. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm picking up right where I left off, okay? We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 15. And I'm going to read this passage, so if you're turning there, it'll be on the screen as well. But let me read this first, and we'll begin to talk about it. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Let's pray. Father, you put this here and its directions, its instructions for those of us who call ourselves children of God, those of us who follow Christ, those of us who have professed faith and walk that way. Help us this morning, Lord, as we walk through this to discern the truth that's here, to put the rhetoric and the hyperbole that's in the world out of our minds and look to this passage for what you want us to have and learn. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, this is going to sound more like a Mother's Day sermon than, than you, you would expect in June. This passage is really easy to explain at face value. It really is. It's really easy to explain, but it's very hard to accept some of the teachings in this passage in today's world, in today's culture. There's been much, and I mean much, written on its implications. Um, and hard hearts kind of reject exactly what it's teaching here. But I want to caution you, the, 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 the word hermeneutics, meaning how do we interpret Scripture, I want to caution you that hermeneutics, sometimes we need to make sure we're reading this the right way. We don't need to read too much into it, and we don't need to take it too vaguely, okay? God put it here for a reason. Now, give me a, giving you back a context of 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, these are pastoral epistles. Paul wrote these after he got out of prison in Rome for the first time. Basically, these are letters after Acts 28 in your Bible. So he was released from prison and he was beginning to do church planning. He wrote to these guys, Timothy and Titus. They were pastors in particular areas. Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. And the reason Paul's writing is in chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, I write these things to you hoping to come to you soon, but if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. So these are instructions for us. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the house of God now in this time. We are the people. So he's writing to Timothy in Ephesus, and Ephesus was a very major town in the Roman culture. 250,000 plus in a, in a population. Uh, it had... It was considered a, a, the mother city of, of Asia. It had the temple to the, the Greek god goddess Artemis, which is also the Roman goddess Diana, which 
some of this female goddess thing may have actually had some part to play in, in some of the things that Paul is correcting in this letter. We don't really know. But Paul gives Timothy God's plan for how women can function in the church. He's given them direct plans. He's given them, Paul through Timothy, I mean, God through Paul is given those things. God has designed women for specific roles and purposes in his church. We need to remember that, that, that no one is more valuable. And I'm going to say that probably over and over. What roles, what roles, what, what positions, what purposes does God allow and restrict for women in the administration of Christ's church? The list is really actually kind of short of what women can and can't do. Okay, we're going to look at that. God calls women to serve the church by three distinct actions. Paul here puts in here three distinct ways that they can serve the church. Now remember, it's God's worship, it's God's truth, and it's God's creation. That's kind of where we're going to, what we're going to hit on in this passage. So first of all, point number one, be proper in God's worship. That's what, what Paul is writing to the, to the church and to Timothy right here, verses 9 and 10. Let me read them again to you. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. You know, we read this passage, and if you've read it very often, usually the first thing you focus on is all the knots. We always are gravitated, humans, to the negatives, the knots. What, what does this say I can't do? But evidently, in the church at Ephesus, women were dressing elaborately so much to the point that they were diverting attention from God. They were, they were more worried about what they looked like, and they weren't being modest about the way they dressed. And, and we're going to talk about that word, at least what it means um, today versus uh, then. So history really does testify to this. If you look up history of Roman culture and Hellenistic culture, you'll see that that women spent a lot of money on clothing back then too, okay? They, they, they really did. And uh, there's, there's stories after stories in history books about the fact that women were expected to dress elaborately, having pearls woven to their hair, you know, gold and jewelry and all so elaborate, almost gaudy in probably the way we would think about it today. So history testifies to that. But the Jewish women which there, weren't, there were some here in Ephesus, but there wasn't as many as maybe in, in Palestine. They had gotten some instruction from the Old Testament, not in what to wear necessarily, but that modesty, decency, propriety is something they should exhibit as followers of God. But I'm going to tell you, too much time has been spent, I think, on what Paul prohibits versus what he commands and what God expects from men and women. He expects men and women to worship with proper attitudes and decorum. He expects us to do that. Someone asked me this morning if they could ask a question in the middle of the service. No, we don't do that. That's decorum. You can ask me afterwards. But in the middle of the sermon, no. We're, we're wanting you to get the points of the sermon, then you can talk to me about it afterwards. So we have an expectation, and so does God. God expects it to, to encourage people to look to him, not to someone's fancy hairdo. See, there's more words in this passage about what we are to do in worship in the church gathering than what we're not to do. It really is. There's more words here if you look at them. I didn't count them for you, but be modest, decent, good sense, good works, be proper, have godliness in worship. These are God's commands. 
We all focus in on the elaborate hairdo and the jewelry and the dress. Paul's given an example of what was going on then. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. So what does modest mean? Well, it means humble, really. It means, it means not seeking vain, empty attention. Most of us like presents wrapped, and we love opening the wrapping paper, but if we open the box and there's nothing in there, we're not happy about the wrapping paper, no matter how pretty it is. So modesty is all about seeking the right kind of attention. Being decent. It means being discreet. It means, means being very careful, not flamboyant, not parading wealth in front of everybody. Good sense. This word is used rarely in the, in the New Testament, and it could mean a lot of things that, that they came with. Self-restraint, self-control. It's not drawing unnecessary attention to yourself. That's what good sense really means. Good works means using your resources to edify the church. Do good things. Love God. Love others. That's kind of God's two major commands. The word proper, it means befitting the person. It means you should, you should dress like a Christian woman or like a Christian man even. Not to do something that's completely out of character for what you are called to do as a believer in Christ. Godliness, it points to the fact that they're claiming to be Christians. They're gathering weekly, if not more often, in Ephesus. They're saying, we're Christians. Come hear what the, what the pastor has to say, Pastor Timothy. Come listen to him. They're claiming to be Christians, but sometimes what they're doing isn't living out what they're saying. We've heard that before. Christian women must approach God with these attitudes. They must be visible attitudes, not just something you say. And they shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be wearing clothing and jewels that detract from those attitudes. He, he addresses, Paul will address later in this letter, some things that were going on with more women issues in, the, in that church that I think this is kind of just a prelude to that fact. And uh, as he writes to Timothy. So why doesn't he address men? Well, I guess men weren't wearing fancy hairdos back then. But the men must not be dressing to, to distract. Um, but he's already, he's already scolded them in verse 8. You go back to verse 8. That was the, in the last sermon before I, I went on sabbatical. You know, they were praying angrily and argumentatively. They were not being good examples in that way. So, ladies, you have no more restraints on you than the men do. You have no more responsibilities. Worship God with these attitudes in your heart. That's the point. That's the point of here. Um, men and women must be proper, decent, reverent in the worship of our one God that Paul had mentioned in verse 5. But God has Peter write about this too. If you know, if you know anything about Peter from the stories, it's kind of interesting that he would, he would talk about this, but... He, God has him write it. In 1 Peter 3, 3 through 5, he points to how valuable a woman is to God. Listen to what he says. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorn themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands. So Peter's even backing up what Paul's telling him, and it's all from God, okay? Don't be a distraction. I mean, Jesus told the woman of the well, she was always trying to, to, to confuse Jesus when he was talking to her. She would change the subject on a, on a dime. But 
he told her, he says, it doesn't matter where you worship, it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what you wear. You're going to worship God from the heart, in spirit, and in truth. And, and this woman at the well was always trying to you know, pit the, the Jews and the Samaritans, and she was Samaritan. And so, but Jesus went straight to the fact that we're going to worship in spirit and truth. That's what God is wanting from us. Now, applying the, these two verses have been taken way out of control. We, we, if you've ever, any of you from a fundamentalist background, you know how staunch they got about hem lengths on skirts and all kinds of stuff. The, the applications have gone too far and too wide at times. Um, this does not prohibit you from wearing nice clothes or jewelry or having a hairstyle that you like. This doesn't prohibit you from that at all, okay? These obviously, at this time, in this present time, was being used and it was distracting. It was, it was violating the proper attitudes in, in believers that Paul wants them to think about. Women have always loved good and nice clothes. And they're expected to wear them, believe it or not. You go read Proverbs 31. She's expected to buy nice clothes. She's expected to wear clothes. But she's also expected to take care of her family and a lot of other things in Proverbs 31. So don't get carried away. Um, God intends for the woman to look orderly in dress. But the motives, the motives are the question. The motives in their hearts, when, when their decorum, when what they're adorning themselves with becomes vanity. They're more worried about what people in the congregation are going to think about their new hat, which we don't wear hats anymore, obviously. But it's just that that's when it crosses a line. You know, today women might need to actually put on more clothing than they do, than they, more cloth in the clothing. It's just kind of gotten to that point where they need to wear more clothes, less body-emphasizing clothes all the time, not just here. Modesty is not an admirable trait in our society. Modesty is not. Matter of fact, if you keep up or even if you just glance at a paper, you'll see every year talking about how revealing and how daring and how edgy the dress is on the red carpet, wherever the red carpet is, the Met Gala, the award ceremonies. What's everybody wearing and how revealing is it? They're getting attention, but they're getting the wrong attention, the attention that will not edify, help. It's empty. It's vanity. Church, I want you to hear this. This instruction here, though, is to Christian women, okay? So we don't need to run out on the street and start you know, condemning people that we don't even know. This is for Christian women, for Christ-following ladies on how to better behave and serve God. Not for unbelievers. Not for women unfamiliar with God's actions. We've got to change their heart first. Jesus is always about the heart first. He didn't condemn the woman of the well. He didn't put her down. He didn't ridicule about her five husbands, all that stuff. He just gave her hope through Jesus himself, the Messiah. We've got to first give them Jesus. We're not to judge someone's salvation based on what they wear or their worthiness to come and worship with us. It doesn't matter what you wear as long as you wear something. You can come in here anytime. We, we will set boundaries, and we've had some discussions in the past, but we, we're not worried about how fancy they're dressed or even how decently they're dressed necessarily. We need to teach them and disciple them after they become a believer in Jesus Christ. Once the heart's regenerated and changed, God will work on them. 
I know, I know a lady that was uh, a college director for girls in a, in a college town, and she would have young ladies coming to her and, and all the time asking her, help me go shop modestly, because they had no clue what that meant. So she was helping, and we can disciple and teach them that. First they're regenerated, then they're sanctified. That's the proper order. And the, and, and the song we're going to sing at the end of the service, Just As I Am, Jesus means it. He means it just as I am. Come just as you are. Your clothing, your status, where you live, what you do, it doesn't matter to Jesus. He wants your heart first. That's the first order of business. So this is for Christian women, which is most of the people in here, I think. So God expects us to worship humbly, reverently, and this is for all of us, by the way, humbly, reverently, with our eyes on Jesus and not on the fashion statement we can make with our clothes. So that's the first point, that, the first action that Paul encourages them with. God's role for women calls for the right kind of worship. And he specifically addressed a problem that was distracting. But then next, he talks about submission. Submission to God's truth on leadership. That's point number two. Be submissive to God's truth. Let me read this passage for you. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. I know that doesn't sit well with a lot of you. <laughs> but these passages, they have caused churches to divide, denominations to split. They've, many preachers skip it, <laughs> okay? But in expositional preaching through books, I just don't, I just not going to do that. I'm going to do the best I can to handle it, and, and I'm going to tell you this over and over. you got questions afterwards, please come see me. Um, but first, I want you to see that, that God really wants women to learn. See, we focus on the what we can't do. He wants you to learn. He says when women learn, they need to learn quietly, but they need to learn. Now, history speaks of this not being allowed. Not in the Jewish history, but in secular history, um, one story is the Greek women, wives, they were confined to their own quarters and not allowed to go do anything knowledge-based. Um, there was a rule in the, in the synagogues, even though it wasn't from God's law, the, the Jewish men said, women, men come to learn, women come to just listen, but not necessarily to learn. Women are supposed to learn. Ignorance was never a plan for, God's, for women in God's eyes. He had, he had a desire for them. But men have overstepped their, their roles <laughs> and prevented it in times past. They've overstepped. We're guilty. You guys know what I'm talking about. And they discouraged it. They, 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 they were not, not happy with it. Matter of fact, Jesus and his disciples being helped and, and, and cared for with a bunch of women in the entourage that moved around all over Palestine, they were learning. The women were learning, but they were doing their part to serve Jesus and the disciples while they did their, their part. It's meant to be. Nothing in God's law disapproves of women learning and exploring and gaining knowledge. And by the way, women found ways to learn anyway. So God really... God wasn't trying to stop it, and we men, we really, we didn't stop it either, which is good. Now, the next thing he says in here is that God does expect women to listen and learn, 
in submission without disruption, quietly in the church. Now this, remember, I'm going to keep saying it, this is about the church, okay? In church gatherings, in church forums, in church settings. He does expect her to listen and learn in submission without disruption, quietly. First of all, I know you're thinking, submission to who? You know, we always have that reaction. Submission to who? Husband, father, if you're not married, the pastor, or some other spiritual leader in the church. That's, that's the leaders that are there that are, you're, you're in su- su- submission to. This was obviously a problem back then. And I, I think it was, we, we don't hear it specifically here, but I think it was just women were interjecting during the sermon, their thoughts. Or maybe they were just asking innocent questions, but they were asking at the wrong time. And God is a God of order, and we know that from Scripture as well. So it was submit, ask the spiritual leader in your life. That was his, his, uh, his direction. But it's still, it's still an issue today, submission. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this submission also in this scripture, it carries kind of a tone of ensuring that women, that women are learning under the watch of an overseer, of a pastor, of some spiritual male spiritual leadership. And that's, that's our role, man, is to be ready, capable, able to help, to watch over. Not to teach it. You can have women teaching, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But Paul instructs, because women were probably interrupting, like I said, they need to wait for the right time, the right setting. And the last thing Paul's trying to talk about here is that God prohibits, and Paul's not talking about it, God's talking about it, okay, because we believe that all Scripture is inspired by God, God prohibits a woman instructing or exercising authority over men in the church. This is the one that gives everybody a little heartburn. But this is God's order. This is God. I'm not, I'm not telling you anything his Bible's not saying. This is his order, his truth, his church. Male leadership, like male headship in the family, that's his plan. That's his plan. Now, I'm talking about spiritual authority, okay? Um, Many of us have had female bosses. I had several in the military. That's not what we're talking about here. This is in the church. This is in the confines of the body of Christ. So I don't want you to interpret this as women are inferior. That's why they can't be in charge of men. They're less valuable to God. That's not what it's saying, Trying to get you to focus on the positives here. They, God wants you to learn, but he has a way he wants you to learn. She has a God-given purpose. Women are to learn. Women can teach other women and children. Moms are meant to exercise authority over their children. If you raise kids, you did. I hope. <laughs> Proverbs 31. See, we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. You go read Proverbs 31. That woman was a busy woman. She did a lot of things. And she couldn't have done those if she was told not to learn. She couldn't have done those things if she was told, you can't rule anybody. She had to keep her her kids in order. She had to keep her husband probably in order at times too to keep the house in order. There's many means, there's many manners by which women serve in a teaching and leading way. So God is not saying that you can't sing in church He's not talking about that kind of silence and quietness. You can't speak or teach in the right settings and time. See, it's about submission, really. It's about submission. Submitting to God's will 
as right conduct in church leads to blessings. It does. It leads to blessings in churches and in homes. It's meant to be a blessing. We, we were in a church one time, and of course there was mostly, it was all male Sunday school teachers and a lot of that stuff. And so there was one visitor that came and, and she said, this is a, a male-led congregation. And it is. And when you got the right guys in place, which we're going to talk about that in a minute, it is a wonderful thing, but it bling, brings blessings. And I know many women who wish their husbands would take the spiritual leadership role in their household, if that, that are not. So submitting to God's will as right conduct in the church for women and men, it leads to blessings. It does. So Paul has instructed this before, though. He, and he, he tells the Corinthians the same sort of things, but he, he does it a little, a little harsher in, in just the sound. But remember, Paul is not a chauvinist. He's not a misogynist. He's not informing them you know, like he's mad at women or hates women. Listen to what he says to the church in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. That evidently was going on in Corinth, too, speaking in the church. During the, during the worship services. If you don't have a husband, you find another spiritual leader to ask these questions to. I know that's kind of limiting the way Paul wrote that there. But our submission, our submission, all of us, is always subjective to our preferences. We're always de- trying to decide whether I'm going to submit or not. You know, well, let me think about that. And when we read scripture, we do that. Whew, that's tough. Am I going to submit to that or not? But let me tell you, the rich young ruler did that. He came to Jesus and he was like, I want to have eternal life. And Jesus said, obey the commands. And he says, I did, which he didn't realize he didn't. But then he tells him to sell everything he has, give it away to the poor, and follow Jesus. And he can't do that. Why? Because he can't submit to that. Why? Because his preference is to keep his stuff. We always struggle with submission to God, and we shouldn't. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills. He owns the potatoes growing in the hills. He owns everything. He has everything. We don't need to wrestle about those kind of things, possessions and positions. So let me apply this. Let me, let me apply this by starting at the beginning, okay? I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. There were two changes that happened in the fall. Before the fall, God created man, created woman. He gave them roles. He gave them covenants he gave them something to do that they were supposed to do based on their their gender after sin entered men would find it harder to work and harder to fulfill leadership and they would seek to dodge it it's not characteristic for men to want to be spiritual leaders in homes and churches it's just not not in the 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 nature of a human being a male And the other thing that happened is that women would find it harder, and they do, find it harder to submit to male leadership. And they would seek to rule over men. That's what what God told them. So you will desire your husband, meaning desire him like rule him. So these changes had many impacts on society from from that moment forward. So when submission is required, many of us, many of us rebel. We, our immediate reaction is to reject it. 
I'm not submitting to that. I'm not doing it that way. I remember one time a silly rule came in the Air Force that we thought was silly, and everybody's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. It's like, well, you know, if you don't do it, you can get court-martialed, okay? So we wound up doing it. But we fight, and we wiggle, and we squirm, and we look for loopholes. We look for ways to get out of it, to not submit. Oh, that was cultural. That was this, or that was that. I want to narrow down this instruction, okay? And I want to tell you what it doesn't say and what it does say. First of all, it does not say that men cannot learn from women. We can. (laughs) I have. I can testify to that. We can learn from women, but not in the formal teaching setting of the church. It doesn't say women can't be leaders. It doesn't say women cannot give advice to men. It doesn't say that women are inferior. It doesn't say that women never get wisdom from God. It doesn't say any of that. It doesn't say any of that at all. This is what it does say. Women cannot teach men, lead men, exercise spiritual authority over men in a church. That's what God wants. Not to be vocal, not to express questions in church forums, not to to make yourself noticed that way. He says to be quiet. Well, how quiet should she be? (laughs) Well, I have a feeling there was a lot of outbursts in this church. Don't vocalize questions or thoughts during the pastor's sermon or try to usurp his teaching by asking or telling someone, no, it doesn't mean that. They need to go to the pastor if they're confused. Maybe that's some of the stuff that was going on. Now, this is a little side note, ladies. Some men are not good leaders. I know you're going, duh. Some men are not good leaders. Well, I'm talking spiritual leaders, okay, too, mostly. They may be even bad men, okay? Maybe unfit to follow. And God cautions us about that. God calls us to be wise in in who we marry, wise in who we submit to whom we trust in for our life's direction spiritually. So I'm not saying men are perfect at this and you've got to just run and submit yourself under any guy. You need to investigate. You need to check it out. Ask for some help. Read your Bible. Now, if you have, ladies, if, and any of you, if you have any questions after the service, I'll be glad to answer any of, these, any of your questions. I can't, I can't cover all the caveats. There's a lot. Like I said, a lot's been written on this. But I would also tell you this, ladies. If you're married, encourage your husband. No nagging. There's a difference. Encourage your husband to be the spiritual leader. Point to opportunities where you would like to have some help spiritually. Give him a little nudge. It matters. It mattered in my life. It mattered in my life. When I was chasing pilot training and pilot qualification, I was on my own, doing my own thing. And My wife, Angie, just patiently pointed to a few things, and God got a hold of me. There are many stories in the Bible, too. I know many of you are sitting there going, Deborah. Uh, You're thinking of all these stories in the Bible of women in charge, women who were vocal, women who were seeking knowledge. Well, I'm not going to cover them. (laughs) I'm not going to talk about them. I just will say this. Most of these things were one-time events for one particular thing that God did at that particular time doesn't mean they were wrong. It just had a specific thing. And so a lot of our Bible is not always prescriptive, not something we're always supposed to, oh, we need to do that and we need to do that. You know, it's, it's, sometimes it's just a description of the event that went on. Deborah's an example of men not taking charge when they should have, not spiritually leading the people of Israel. 
If you've got questions more about those exceptions, come, come find me. Now, how do we apply this in our church here? Well, here's kind of the, here's kind of the way the role and office of pastor is for men. And we're going to talk about that next week, actually. It's for men, by God's direction. Okay? Bible teachers here are male if there's any males in the class. So three of them are male. One of them is um, female because she's teaching ladies. And that's fine. That's one of the ways we apply it. Anytime a spiritual issue comes up, mature Christian males get together and work on it and seek to solve it. Now, if we had elders and pastors instead of deacons, we might have some women deacons. But I'll talk about that in two weeks of how that could happen. But besides the role of women in the church leading and not leading, the point also here is that we need to submit to what God says in anything. We need to submit to the unchanging, inerrant word of God. That's for all of us. All of us. Nobody's exempt from that. If you claim to follow Christ, you've got to submit. We must all constantly check our hearts over, over that expectation that God has. So God's role for women includes the right kind of worship and it includes submission. And it also includes, for all of us really, but for her too, finally accepting the design that God created in the beginning. Be content with God's creation. Point number three. Look at verses 13 through 15. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and holiness with good sense. There's that good sense word again. It means the same thing, same word. It means the same thing, self-control, self-restraint. I'll talk about that in a minute. So Paul, under God's direction, directs us to the creative order. He goes back to the beginning, like I did a minute ago, in the fall, to understand God's reasons for the way he's got this set up. First of all, the creative order is why men are over women, why males were put in charge. The creative order is God's design to be cherished and to be studied for our own edification and education. It, has, it had a purpose. The, the sin of even Adam and Eve did not wipe away that design. It just makes it harder, distorts it, which I said a minute ago. So Eve sinned. She sinned when she stepped away from Adam's protection, when she decided to go and engage the serpent in a conversation, when she went and just, maybe out of just sheer curiosity, maybe out of the fact that I just can't believe that we can't eat that, that fruit. I don't know, you know. Adam sinned by listening to his wife. It's testified in Genesis 3. You can go read it. It's like, I was deceived, she says. And he says, well, I heard her, and I, was de- I, I, I did what she said. And biggest mistake of his life. God's order of creation in the fall, it frames this whole roles thing in the right frame, in the right perspective. Now, this next phrase in the, in the back end of uh, in verse 15, this is a little complex. It's been misinterpreted several times, but I'm going to give you what I believe is the actual interpretation of it. It's not talking about eternal life and salvation comes through childbirth. If you know your Bible and you know Paul, he would never write that down. He would not be talking about eternal life. Faith in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection is the only way we gain eternal life. So that's not what he's talking about. What he is talking about is that the woman sinned. The, the nouns, if you, if you look in the translation, the nouns are singular. 
but she will be saved through childbearing. Those, all those verbs, nouns in there are singular. They're referring back to the woman that sinned, but she will be saved by the woman who bore the Messiah. She was without hope. She realized, I transgressed first. I, I have no hope. But in the promise and in the cursing that God did against him, he said, from the woman will come an offspring who will crush the head of the serpent. That's Jesus. That's, that's the first prophecy about Jesus Christ right there. That he will come and he will live and he will die and he will crush Satan's head. So she had no hope until the offspring of Mary came along. Her sin would then be forgiven. Her soul would be preserved by Jesus. See, Jesus' birth came at the right time. From a woman to be the Messiah that all humanity needs. That's the, the childbearing that saves. Mary carrying Jesus. It's an honor and privilege, though, for women to bear children. It is. If they choose. It's, it's one of the unique roles women have, regardless of what the media is saying out there. But I'll take a moment to say this. A baby never ruined anybody's life. They ruined their life, and they're blaming it on the baby. So it's usually the other way around. Most time it happens where the parent ruins the baby's life. Well, that's a, another topic for another day. But God used that honorable ability of childbearing to bring the Lamb of God into the world. Because the only way we can be saved is by the blood of Jesus Christ. He came as a ransom for our sin. Go back to chapter 2, verse 6. He came as a ransom for our sin. To pay that debt. We sung about that in, in the song. The man hung upon the cross. His sin, my sin upon his shoulders. So Paul's pointing to the birth of Christ that saves us. And this fact, this fact alone puts women at a crucial function of humanity. Humanity wouldn't exist without women. We would have gone the way of the dodo. Without her, we cease to exist. And in the four actions at the end of the verse, he talks about eternal life. That's really where it comes from. Not by our own actions, but by what God does. For faith, he starts out with faith. And we know that faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins, that produces eternal life. That produces in us a new heart. That creates a new heart in us. And with that new heart, we can now pursue these other three. Love. Loving God and loving others rightly is, the, is only by the power of Christ in our souls. You cannot love correctly without God in your heart. You can look like love, and the world has distorted that word quite a bit. And then holiness, purity, seeking to live righteously in all of God, is all of God too in a soul. It's like you can't do that on your own either. The Holy Spirit in you because you believe in Jesus Christ. That's the power. That's the power to live correctly. And then good sense. Like I said, same word in the Greek. Self-control, self-discipline according to Christ's commands. Those are the things that show up in a saved soul. And God expects believers to trust his design, respect his order, and follow his son for salvation. That's, that's 
God's expectations. That's not something Paul's inventing here or, or the church has invented. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. Paul uses the Creator's plan for the Corinthians as well. He's, in his letter to them, first letter to them, he writes again about the fact that the man came first. So too, women is the glory, woman is the glory of man. For, this is in 1 Corinthians 11, by the way. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. That's back in the garden. She was created to help him. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man now comes from woman, and all things come from God. It's just the way his order is, and it's a good order. You know, since Darwin came along in the mid-1800s, Creation has been debated. All kinds of, how was this created? How was the world created? It, it has all kinds of debates out there, but most people just, they'll walk out to their apple tree and pick a fruit and they never ask a question, well, where did this come from? Is it safe to eat? You know, we accept fruits and plants and, and animals even as they are. But when it comes to the role of genders, we really get in a, a, a tiff over that. We get all huffy about it. It gets questioned at every turn. It even gets as we see today, perverted, but it's been perverted before. This isn't the first go-round of the homosexual movement. God set the design, okay? And that's what we need to remember. That's why people ask me, do you believe in a literal seven days of creation? Yes, I do. Because that's what my Bible talks about, and it's the easiest way to make it make sense. If we start spreading it out to years, it gets a little fuzzy. People get a little confused, and people don't look to God as their creator. So let me, let me apply this, this order that he's putting. God ordained men as head of women in marriage and church leadership. And it's his plan, not ours. Now, sin has ruined that plan, okay? I, I hate to admit it, but that's what's happened. It has ruined that design to such a degree that gender dysphoria is going on and taking hold. And it's amazing. It's just every day I, I read something or see something. It's like, how do people think like that? But but we upset his order, though, by assessing our value to positions. That's one of the things that happens is we say, oh, we're, you're more valuable because you have this position. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't assign value to these positions. I'm no more valuable than any of you. I really believe that. I have to check myself to make sure I think that, but I'm, I really believe that. This is not, the offices don't matter. We upset his order by, by putting value on the positions. And God's roles... For us, adds nothing to us. No value at all. Humans are the apex of God's creation. And he loves us. Every single one of us. Because he created us. He loves us so much as we are, he sent his one and only son. We didn't do anything for him to do that. We had no self-worth or value that would convince God to send Jesus, his only son, to die on a cross for our sins. There's nothing out there that convinces him of that. Our, our positions don't carry any value. It's just the roles that God has given us. And the church, God reminds us of the garden. He, he loves to remind us of that, what it was like. So we can see, when we look out there, we can see the toll that sin has played on our society and on people. 
Some of these things that, that the world chases has ruined people's lives, and yet they won't stop chasing it. They're convinced it's going to eventually someday pay out, I guess. So I pray for them. I want to help them. God tells us in his word to accept the how, the when, the why, the what, and the where of his creation. And that still applies. Even after sin corrupted it, he still wants us to accept it the way he designed it. So we need to follow his advice in scripture, okay? That's as simple as it is. We need to follow his advice. Seek out good counsel on followership. Pray over these things. And if, if you become in doubt or confused about your roles and purposes, pick up your Bible. Don't pick up a newspaper. Pick up your Bible. Read it. Pray over it. And listen for his truth. And if you want more help, talk to someone. The order is good. And we need to be content with it as believers in Jesus Christ. So in summary, Paul addressed some problems that were in Ephesus. Yet he gave some distinct actions that apply for us too, okay? So we don't, don't need to just put them on women, okay? Even though women was the, the subject there, all of us have things we can do. You know why? Because all of our Christian life is a journey toward obedience. All of it. Every aspect of your life down here on planet Earth is a, is a moving and trying to improve your obedience to what God has said in his word. That's what it is. It's called sanctification, if you want a nice fancy word for it. But just moving toward Christ-likeness. That's our goal. And, and so you're going to run into these kind of battles. You're going to see these kind of things. And s- submitting to his truth is an everyday battle. I'm telling you, sin constantly barks at the door. Hey, let this happen just once. Oh, you, could get, you can get by with that. One little thing. He's always trying to convince you to do one little thing. So that you can not obey God. But but God calls us to trust his son and his son's salvation. To trust it completely. For our eternity as well as for our life now. And that trust that we have in Jesus Christ, that we profess as faith in Jesus Christ for the eternal life, that is seen in how we behave. How we obey. There was an apostolic father way back in first or second century. And he said, you can tell they're Christians by the way they love each other. That was different. It was different than any other religion they had seen. But by the way we love everyone. That's trusting God in everything. So right now we're going to take some time to pray quietly. And let's pray that we can worship with the right attitude. That we can... Trust God's word, his truth with joy, that we can submit to it. And then we can accept that God has ordained this plan. So let's take this time to pray quietly. We'll do that for a few minutes and then I'll close us out. So let's pray.